Welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast, where we discuss all things related to the growing field of agile marketing. This podcast is co-produced by Frank Days and the Agile Marketing Alliance so that we can learn, share, and grow together. I'm Frank Days, and here with Jim Ewell, we will be your hosts for today's episode. Joining us today is Brandy Starr. She's the COO of Tegrita, a full-service marketing technology consulting firm, host of the Revenue Rehab Podcast, and someone who's passionate about helping people and teams succeed. She's here to share how they are leveraging Agile in their work and with their clients. Brandy, thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's hop in. Brandy. Can you share with us what motivated you to adopt Agile? Our marketing team was fairly new and we were getting things done, but it felt like everything was taking forever. We tended not really hit many deadlines. And so I started looking at different approaches to try to improve efficiency and move things through. And so that's where I stumbled across agile marketing in, in my research. And the fact that we are a technology company, very familiar with agile on the technology side. And so we chose to dive right in and, and take on agile. What does agile look like at your firm? Probably a little different than at most companies. We are a consulting firm. And so there's kind of two parts of Agile for us. So we primarily use Agile within our internal marketing team. And so within marketing, you know, we have our monthly planning. So our sprints are a month, which is long by comparison to most organizations, but we do our monthly planning. We have our monthly retros. We have not used the whip limits. We tried and and we found that that just didn't really work for us. However, we are planning with story points and looking at how much we're able to move through in a given sprint. And then on the client side, we are using what I call Agile Light because our clients all work very differently within their organizations. We can't go full Agile, but we have adopted using a Kanban with our clients for planning the work that we're going to be doing, having monthly planning meetings. And then we have an internal retro on how we've managed the client and the work that we've done and how we continue to improve. And so far, that's going pretty well. Well, Brandy, one of the things I'm really interested in when people adopt Agile is how they organize the teams. Are you organized into cross-functional teams or how, how did you approach that? Yeah, so we're super small. So our marketing team is three people. I head operations and marketing, and then I have two marketing managers. And then we have several people on the team who support marketing. So one of our client strategists and two or three of our technologists also support the marketing function. So for all intents and purposes, they are, it is a cross-functional team and we are all using Agile. We have, we're making sure that we're publishing the plan for the sprint, that everyone's signing off on it. We have our standups, which is mainly with the smaller team. It's quasi cross-functional. As you're using Agile with your clients, you talked a little bit about Kanban. Can you elaborate a little bit more about what the interactions and processes and how, you know, how that compares with what you use for your internal non-client processes? With our clients, we have our contract structures can vary. 
So for some clients, we are working on very specific projects. Like they will contract with us to do a specific body of work. For those clients, we aren't using an agile process. It, you know, it just hasn't made sense. Yeah. But for our larger clients where we are involved in the day-to-day. So in many cases, they are outsourcing their email or marketing ops to us. And we are involved in defining the strategy and all the initiatives that are happening in marketing will have our hands in. And so the plan is a bit more loose. And so with our Kanbans, we keep it simple. We use Smartsheets. And so we have it set up with the card view. We have our backlog. And anything that comes up as a potential product project goes into the backlog. And so then when we are doing planning, we are looking at, okay, here's you know what we said we were going to work on this month. Does this still make sense? What do we need to grab from the backlog? Any things we need to add in the backlog? Because clients are working on contracts where we've planned out their hours for the month or the quarter, and we have estimates on each of the cards, we can determine, are we putting too much work in progress? Is it the right balance? And so that part works really well. And it's actually created a lot more accountability and insight for our clients where a lot of them are not quite as organized. They kind of are just working on what they work on. They'll have ideas and then those ideas get forgotten along the way. And so that has been the most helpful part of Agile. And then also so that we are continuing to improve the way that we work with our clients, the fact that our internal team does a retro and we essentially bring anyone who's worked on the account to the retro to talk about how did it go? How do we improve? We do the start, stop, continue. Mm -hmm. And that's also helped us to improve how we manage our accounts. Brandy, you talked about some of the parts that have helped you. What have been some of the challenges that you've encountered as you've adopted Agile? Initially, the sprint duration was a challenge. We were trying to go with weekly sprints, which is, you know, what's the most common. And it just, we just don't move that fast. And so we quickly abandoned that. Um, And then also having whip limits on the internal side, because most of the people that are supporting marketing, so other than my two marketing managers, all pull double duty. So I do some of the consulting work. I own operations. I own marketing. Our strategists are primarily client-facing, but support marketing. It was really, really difficult to actually assess bandwidth. There may be one month where I lean in and I'm doing 30, 40 hours of marketing work. And then there's some months where they're kind of on their own and I only do 10 hours. And so you can't really define an actual whip limit because it changes day to day. And so that was the other piece that really did not work for us. And then also with clients, daily standups, trying to meet more frequently than weekly also didn't work. Like we couldn't, other than one client where the volume is high enough that daily makes sense. All of our other clients, we've shifted to like a weekly stand-up process because it just didn't work for schedules, didn't work for budgets. And so we had to abandon that part as well. 
You talked about whip limits. We had a recent guest on the podcast who's talking about work in progress and, and its challenges that it introduces to the team by having too much work in progress. And I'll freely admit that in when, when I've practiced agile with my various teams, work in progress has always been too much whip has always been the killer. Oh, everyone is, whether it's pressures from above or it's over ambition or whether it's underestimating the value. Can you share what your process looks like around managing your whip limits? What we've started tracking is days in define. So define is our first stage when it comes out of the backlog. And so we're looking at how long does it sit there before someone actually starts working on it? So we've been tracking that, I think, for eight or nine months or so, as well as our percentage of work that's getting completed on time. So based on the dates that we set, we always are focused on clear the board because the goal is that at the end of the month, everything is in done and the middle of the Kanban board is empty. And so tracking those two numbers, as well as how many story points we're able to put through month over month has really helped us to see what is realistic for our team. So even though we've not been able to set like an actual work in progress limit to say, if we've got too much in this stage, then you know nothing else can move there. What it has done is it has helped us to not be over ambitious and to actually really be realistic. And so when we see that, okay, our percent on time is going down and our days in define is going up, we probably put too much much. in that sprint. And so that's been kind of our approach to creating balance. Now, I was able to build some excitement around clear the board. So far, we've only had one month where we've actually cleared the whole board. That's great. I made a big deal of it. Yeah. We posted in Slack. I sent like virtual confetti gifts, all sorts of things. (laughs) Celebrating. Yeah. Celebrating. To make it a big deal. And so that has also really helped everyone involved to be more conscious of what they can actually do because nobody wants to be the reason that we don't clear the board. I was just wondering about the little sibling of WIP, which is the unplanned stuff that comes up in the middle of the sprint. Do you have a process on how you triage things as a month is a pretty long sprint? There must be tasks that come up in the middle of the sprint that people have. Is someone being ruthless about, okay, this one comes in, that one goes out kind of stuff? I wouldn't say it's quite ruthless. And we are fortunate that we don't have a high volume of unplanned work. There are times where it peaks, something happens, you know, especially things in the industry or like national crisis or things that people are paying attention to. You know, sometimes you have to stop work or or take things out of market or, or things like that. But for the most part, we do pretty good at planning ahead and not having a lot of last minute stuff. However, when there is, we do in our marketing daily standup, we have that gut check of, can we really get this done without putting something else on hold or do we need to put something on hold? And so it is a really quick, and I, I try to not make it a whole discussion. Like it really is a gut, you know, if we can get this done or not. 
And I've gotten my team comfortable with being able to say no. Like if we do this, something's got to give. And so that's why I say I wouldn't say it's ruthless because if there is something that really has to get done and we can't put something on hold, we do make it happen. And, and you know, we do occasionally yeah. stretch ourselves thin. But for the most part, we do pretty good there. Brandy, I'm curious if you have applied some of the iterative aspects of Agile to your practice. And what I mean by that is oftentimes we kind of work in a waterfall method. We get a, a creative brief in, we do the campaign, we declare victory, we say the campaign's over. And the essence of Agile is iterative, to try to do a little something and see how it works and, and then iterate on it. Have you uh, applied that aspect of Agile to your practice with your clients? So we've been able to take that iterative approach in a couple ways, a couple small ways. With our clients, I have uh, started to really get them to think about what's the MVP? Like, what do we need to actually get done to get something in market or to get this project complete? And how do we iterate on it over time? Because we do, you know, I do see probably more on the client side where projects will kind of just drag on and on and on because there's this desire to be perfect. And instead, I try to shift them to done is better than perfect. Like, how do we get to good enough? And that that works on certain things and with certain clients. So I do at least try to preach the iterative mindset where I can so that we don't get stuck in those cycles of revisions and all of those things. On our team side, I think we actually do a little better in just being comfortable in certain places with the process of iterating. Because we're consultants, there is a little bit of a different expectation of we can't put anything in the market that's half done because it reflects poorly on our brand and it impacts our business. But like our digital ads is a great example. We've found that LinkedIn has been most successful for us, but our social ads aren't quite uh, yielding the revenue that we'd like. So we're going through an iterative process. Like we had our phase one, we put it in market. We're looking at what's working, what's not. And we're as we're going into January, our fiscal starts in November. So we're now going through our second iteration of that and keeping what's working, trashing what doesn't. So we, we have that iterative process very much at the forefront of our minds. Uh, but I wouldn't say that we've nailed it. Like it is still, there are still a lot of things that I do think stay in progress, you know, that maybe could have been done earlier in the month. So earlier in the sprint that comes down to the last day because we're trying to make it perfect. So there's room for growth there, but we are at least, we are at least being iterative. Yeah, that's great to hear. It, it, it always is a challenge for all of us to do all that stuff, completely do this iterative approach. I mean, I know I can you talk to how you work with your clients in terms of like you said some of your clients, your smaller clients, it's it's sounds like it's fairly waterfall, right? You have a statement of work yeah. and you deliver against it, right? That probably makes sense given the size of the project. You can you can actually define it. You probably have a pretty decent amount of certainty around scope and scale of the project. As they get bigger, what does it look like? Are these bigger clients? Are they just on a retainer? And then yes. and so then 
the way that we work is we will plan their hours by the year, but broken down into quarters. So, okay. you know, for simple math, let's say they're buying a thousand hours from us and they know that there's a ton of work that happens in Q1, but Q4, you know, is kind of coasting. So we may say that Q1, we are planning for 400 hours and Q4, we're only planning for 100 hours. And then in Q2 and three, it's going to be 250 each. And so based on how their business flows, what they have in their annual plans, we will estimate just at a really high level where the hours should live in the year. And for some clients, there's a little more detail there. Like some clients like to have specific projects in their statement of work that they believe that they're going to work on. For those larger clients, it really is just ours. And so we start off planning that in the annual retainer. So that's what's in the statement of work. Um, And then from there is where we have our Kanban, you know, at the beginning of the year, we start to throw everything in the backlog that we know that we might work on, even where it is just a nice to have some of those cleanup type things that you only really do when you've got some extra time. We get all of that in the backlog and then we start to plan against what their planned hours are. And then we also break it down so that it's not whole projects as a single card. In most cases, we will do the uh, strategy, the development, and the execution as like three separate cards. So we might develop the strategy for an initiative in January and then the planning and build in February. And so that way we're able to take projects in an appropriate chunk. And so that's been really, really helpful. It gives clients into visibility of what we've committed to. It creates some accountability for their teams because, again, they don't like to be the reason we don't clear the board. And so that part has really been really good in giving them structure where the statement of work is more broad. Brandy, what advice do you have to anyone in a consulting or an agency environment who is just starting on their agile journey? Don't feel like you have to implement it in a textbook case. We went through an agile marketing certification. We learned all of the best practices, the standard way of doing things. And initially, I was real gung-ho to implement it straight out of the textbook. Here's what my material says. Here's what we're going to do. However, in a consulting environment, whether you're leveraging Agile for your marketing team or with your clients, there's nuances that are just very different than a lot of other organizations. And so it's not all or nothing when you are implementing Agile. Even if you just take some of the principles, it moves you in the right direction of being a more efficient, you know, more scalable organization. And so I would say, keep going, iterate. We talked about being iterative, but iterate on your agile journey and keep the parts that really work for you and make your teams better. And don't use the parts that don't. Like it seems like really simple advice, but sometimes can be frustrating when you feel like you got to stick to what you learned. And that's just not the case. Brady, thanks for sharing your learnings and your wisdom around this. It sounds like it's a work 
I don't want to say a work in progress, but it's something you're definitely learning and evolving over time, right? It was great to be here and it definitely is a work in progress. Great. Well, I'd like to thank our listeners for joining our show today. As a reminder, you can find old episodes of the Marketing Agility Podcast at agilemarketingblog.com as well as on iTunes. Also, if you have a minute and you're interested in learning more and being a part of the larger Agile Marketing community, the Agile Marketing Alliance is a great place to go and sign up and join. They've gone to GA, Jim, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So January congrats, 1st. Congratulations to the team at the Agile Marketing Alliance. And thanks for everyone for joining us and please stay agile.